Welcome to Red Eye, a conversation series where V and I sit down and have the type of conversation you would have on a red eye flight late at night when the world is asleep. All sorts of thoughts can pop into your mind and we keep things thoughtful and entertaining as we discuss these ideas. Today, we've got some exciting news topics to lean into. V, are you ready for this? Let's get it. Awesome. So today, first topic is the 49ers. This is a fun article, um, but... Essentially, looking through their injury history, they're one of the most injured teams in the NFL, but it goes a lot deeper than that. In fact, a, uh, an analysis showed that they've been the least healthy team in the NFL for a decade, which I, th- I think is like, it's got to be some sort of record, man. Like, I've never, I've never even seen, uh, you know, any sort of pro franchise be this unhealthy for this long. Yeah, and you know, it's so funny, you really see it if anybody who's engaged with fantasy football, that every single player on the 49ers seems to get hurt, so there's like a risk factor built in (laughs) to drafting 49ers players for injury, Uh, specifically this year. I have the 49ers defense, and pretty much every star player, it was the number one defense last week, Um, then every player, their star cornerback got hurt nick bosa got hurt their star safety got hurt all in one game um and <laughs> i mean it's pretty comical it's funny but it's there is a, a a serious undertone to this which is you know what are the standards for care are there standards for care uh that the nfl withhold uh, upholds for its franchises and are the, if they're not being maintained and you see this type of consistent failure on the part of one organization what sort of penalties what type of evaluation or audit is being done on the medical staff on the facilities consistently to make sure that um the standard of care is being being maintained and what is actually the root cause of these problems because if you are consistently failing more than everyone else every single year it's a pattern that needs to be addressed and it's pretty disturbing that both the 49ers organization and the NFL seem to have a laissez-faire attitude toward this, which is just, you know, injuries happen. It's a rough sport. It's a tough sport. It's bad luck. It seems like there's a lot more than bad luck going on within that organization. Yeah, I think so, bro. I think so. And it's, it's weird, honestly. I mean, I have had some interactions with the 49ers medical staff in the past, but I, I, I honestly can't remember in recent history. I, I don't know if they use uh last i can't remember if they do or don't but i feel like for for an organization based in the bay area with so much innovation so much data analysis and technology around them that's being utilized for the development of health they should be better at this than they are yeah that's really what's what's surprising is that they should be better at it than they are um but, you know, if you don't care about something, 
you don't invest in that thing. And if you don't invest in that thing, it, the problem becomes worse. It's like, it's natural for anything. Like, and that's what's disturbing here. Like, I honestly would really be, if I was, if I was a free agent playing in the NFL, that would be a factor that I'd weigh in. I'm more likely to get hurt if I go to the 49ers, especially in a sport where a lot of contracts are not guaranteed. Um, to to deal with this type of injury risk that's that's significantly higher by going to this organization than any other organization in the NFL. If you're a player, I mean, there is an impact whether the the 49ers organization wants to address it or not is up to them, but this could really impact the on-field segment as well, but it just goes goes back to what NFL players, you know, voice every year, every collective bargaining um go around you know they expanded the season to 17 games continued the preseason like there's no there are no steps that the nfl really makes um in order to protect their players we've already seen the concussion protocol concerns that were 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 raised and have caused led to some changes but nothing significant it's just like this narrative seems to be gaining steam because there's some truth to it yeah, hundred percent. And I, you know, the one thing I do remember about uh, attempting to do business with the Forty ers is that they they won't use a product unless you you pay them to use it, even if yeah. it can be good for the player health. And you find this actually in a lot of pro sports organizations more than you would expect. But it's one of the issues in pro sports health is that when a product is there that's actually healthy for somebody, you should just use it. It's the best product on the market. But for some reason. If a doctor find, if the team finds out that they have contact with the company beyond just like, oh, hey, I'm a doctor, you know, I ordered this product online for the player, they try to just squeeze every ounce out of startups. And, you know, I've had a couple instances where specifically the 49ers, one of them, um, wanted, wanted ownership in the company just for using one of the products I had <laughs> made. And it's like, okay, like, I appreciate that you're an NFL team, but like, it kind of it's kind of missing the point trying to mix business with patient care and i think that's like one of the challenging parts of pro sports health is that you have two elements that are conflicting you have what's best for the player versus the team trying to take every single dollar that they can out of the surrounding ecosystem and environment and out of their their you know vendors yeah and then also the incentive to keep players on the field versus um versus actually doing what's best for their health um and then the team being responsible um for hiring team physicians the whole concept of raised team physician has always bothered me should be an independent physician um tasked with that responsibility they should not be on um they should not be team physicians you know what i mean yeah. i just don't like um how that because it puts puts people in position to be compromised every you know, physician uh, takes a Hippocratic oath uh, <laughs> to to put the care of the patient first and above all else. Um, you can't even deny care um, if they don't have the ability to pay you for services. Um, that is the standard. Um, and then the other the other part of this is I feel like every team team athletic training staff should be overseen by a physician, um, somebody of that level of of standards um you know i have a bunch a lot of respect for athletic trainers physical therapists um 
and and everyone else, but I do think that care should always go start at the top with a physician and then have everyone else um, involved. The, the athletic trainers and physical therapists should not be dictating patient care uh, situations in, in, in the event of actual injuries. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I, I think, you know, our society really should start to look at physicians more like lawyers and less like, you know, just authoritative experts, regardless of the individual, because the reality is that medical education differs. You know, you learn different things based on where you study, who you study with, the kind of research you do, where your focus is. Different people have different expertise. And it requires different doctors to solve different conditions mm-hmm. well, especially at the pro sports level. But when you have, like you're saying, a one-size-fits-all solution for the team, first of all, one or two doctors is, is not going to keep you know, 55 people healthy all season in one of the most physical activities that, that you can do as a human being outside of war. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, it's like a flawed model, and I agree with you completely. I think that there's a big miss in pro sports and the way they impact health. We've talked about this in previous podcasts. The compensation for physicians is not enough to entice good physicians. So you get very, very ego-driven physicians who want the position over actually being the best people that are qualified to deliver care, and that's how you end up in this situation. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, I think one of the solves overall would be just, what I don't understand, why wouldn't you just partner in your local market with um, the best sports medicine facility or university? in the area and and have them you know not even have it be in-house and that's where these questions get raised of like are you really operating in the best interest of player health or is the are the waters muddied in terms of what the goals are for that but if if you if you take it outside and you you make the 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 care be the responsibility of a hospital or another institution the standard of care goes up because they have a separate sense of liability in terms of um, what to do, what to do with the patient, there the the consequences seem much much steeper in that situation. It would seem like that would create a better overall scenario, and I'm surprised that that they don't do this more often. Instead, they try to create these internal bubbles um, and do the best that they can. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see if if you know this type of stuff tends to like will pick up any steam and put some pressure on the 49ers but I think from a fan perspective don't pick a 49ers player for your fantasy team. It's, yeah. It's not a sure pick. It's never every running back that's every starting running back over the last 4 years the 49ers misses about half half or more of the season. Every single starting running back that they've had. That's crazy. So moving forward into our next topic, this was really, really shocking. Uh, in Alaska, they actually had to stop and cancel the entire uh, snow crab, I guess, fishing season um, because 90% of the population of crabs is just missing. They have no idea where the crabs went. It's over a billion crabs that are no longer in the waters around Alaska, and nobody has any idea why it's happened and this is within just a two-year period which is shocking hmm. i mean that's a lot of crabs to steal <laughs> bro like i can't i can't even I think believe I, it. I think i think the crabs are seeing the writing on the wall of the direction the world is headed in and they're like okay this dude putin 
in Russia is starting to act up before they go nuclear. Let's <laughs> evacuate. Let's evacuate uh, <laughs> the waters. Um, but it is a very interesting fact for that many to disappear. Um, um, I don't know what the answer is. I'm sure you know somebody of much more expertise than me could explain what's going on um, with the crab in Alaska, but I don't have answers. Yeah, there's plenty of theories. A couple of the theories are that one is that the waters are too warm and they've gone north, but then you would see you would find them. So that doesn't necessarily play out for me because um, they have not found them. They've classified them as missing. The uh, the second theory, which I just thought was hilarious, is somebody said maybe they just walked too deep in the ocean and fell off of off of one of the you know they have the ocean trenches maybe they fell into an ocean trench yeah <laughs> i don't i don't think that crabs are a billion crabs are gonna just yeah. fall into a trench underwater so <laughs> i don't know i don't know if anybody really has maybe, maybe someone is uh is is creating an artificial supply chain uh so that these grocery stores can continue to say inflation is the issue and charge quadruple what they already charge for these crabs <laughs> yeah yeah it's crazy so uh you know if you're going going to a seafood restaurant it's unlikely you won't have any alaskan crab for a while and uh nobody knows why it's one of the mysteries of the ocean we will figure it out or we won't Mo- moving on we have a um extension on last week's punch round punch heard around the world headline uh Immediately after, really, uh, we saw Jordan Poole get signed to a $140 million contract extension, Andrew Wiggins, uh, a comparable contract extension. Golden State Warriors are paying the absolute largest amount I've ever seen, some 400-something million this year, including the luxury taxes. And it, it brings the focus on Draymond Green, who really you know, has had to work to ingratiate himself back into the team. But it, he's a player who wasn't able to demonstrate last year statistically why he really deserved to be there, especially when it came to the playoffs. He was he was definitely a weak link on the team. And this year after the punch, that sends a very clear signal from the front office where their priorities are. And it's, it's Jordan Poole, it's Andrew Wiggins, it's the future of their franchise. And so it brings up the natural question uh, Draymond obviously has a, a player option with the Warriors, and then last year, next year would be the last year of his contract. But uh, is he is he going to be out of Golden State? Is this the writing on the wall for him? Yeah, uh, it, it it very. You're just like yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, here's a scenario. I mean, personally, I think it's a mistake because. I think in a team filled with stars like that, you need somebody who's willing to um, kind of orchestrate. And I think um, one thing I will say about Draymond Green, even though I don't think he's a max player, I think it would be a mis- it will be a mistake if Golden State um, gets rid of him if he's the odd man out, um, because you need to have somebody that kind of facilitates and keeps all of this like great individual talent moving and also that defense will fall apart um without him as the centerpiece as well so this is a situation where you know the warriors seem like they might be making the right decisions but i think 
I think this is, unless they get Draymond back, they have a plan to get Draymond back and they've agreed to some sort of uh, concession on his contract. I think there's, uh, there's a challenge here because they might call his bluff and say, hey, you're not going to get a max contract elsewhere. But say a team on the cusp, like Memphis, that needs a veteran presence like Draymond. Or Detroit. Comes, Detroit, yeah. who's building a roster of a bunch of young talent. Yeah. I mean, I would not be surprised to see someone who's in a favorable cap situation with a lot of young talent um, pay Draymond more uh, than market value just because of how valuable he is to a team. And it's just one of those things like, Honestly, I can understand picking one of those guys, Jordan Poole or Andrew Wiggins. I would pick Andrew Wiggins if I had to choose uh, one, but I think the Warriors are just preparing for life after Steph and and Clay. That's what they're saying in, with this move, right? Yeah. Um, and so they want to make sure that excellence is maintained and they know Draymond is old uh, as well, one of the older players, so they're going to it's one of those risks. There's no perfect scenario. It's one of those risks they're willing to take for the overall long-term stability of the franchise. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I think when it comes to um, you know who you, you would pick out of those players, I also would have picked Wiggins and Draymond. I think that there's a challenge with Jordan Poole and his personality. I think when you, whenever you have someone that ego-driven, uh, it's it's very, very challenging to build a, a actual team around them that, that feels like they want to fight for that person. Yep. And if you're really setting up Jordan Poole to be the next face of your franchise, I just think that's the wrong face. Yeah. Yeah. I think you trade him. And you get a yeah. lot of value for a player like Jordan Poole. You trade him. You trade um, him for a strong center, yeah. strong backup center, and maybe an, a strong four. Yeah, or, to, or or that with a combination of future draft picks, you know. Exactly. Yeah, with uh with the draft, you know, coming up this year, it's going to be a really really curious one with Victor Wemba. Wem, I I cannot. Wemba is it Wembanaya? Yeah. Or Wembayana. The masked Wemby. Yeah, he's incredible, man. He looks he looks like probably the best pick that I've seen since like Kevin Durant. Yeah, I mean, they're saying he's 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 going to have a LeBron James type impact on the league, um, which again, you know, that's that's what the media is going to do. But when you actually look at this guy and see how fluid he is and and how he plays the game of basketball, the biggest concern is obviously someone that long and that big. What are the injury risks and what are the durability concerns over an eighty-two game NBA season? Um, which probably I feel it may be getting longer with this new play-in tournament that. Uh, <laughs> silver is proposing oh, yeah uh that is the biggest concern but the kid is a freak of nature um you don't you never see a guy that tall um be that athletically gifted like you said Kev, kevin durant is probably a better comp than lebron james but this guy literally plays the game and his basketball iq is at the level of like a luca or a lebron coming into the league so he's definitely going to be a game-changing player and i think a lot of teams that are not good are going to be tanking trying to get to that first pick um but i think you know this might be the setup because they signed these extensions and maybe golden state is doing the same thing that they did um uh with um with russell d'angelo russell which is sign him to the extension with the intention of trading him um 
trading him after the extension, after they receive yeah. the extension. We'll see. We'll see how this yeah. all plays which out. Would, which would be an interesting move for sure. You know, on um, on the note with Victor as well, I, I saw some videos of his training regimen and his warm-up regimen before the games and saw some writing about how he is actually incredibly consistent about doing a ton of ligament work, muscular musculoskeletal work and really like plyometric warm-ups. Um, he actually goes out onto the court barefoot before the games and does a bunch of foot activation work as well, um, including bear crawls and different types of things like that. A player at that age who understands that much about their body is going to be a real difference maker in the league. And I think that's it's a special thing to see a, a new generation of athletes with an awareness of their bodies to the extent that he has. Because it's to your point, it's not just the size it's not just the length. It's not just the shooting ability. It's the body yep. control and physical awareness that makes makes him stand out. Yeah, it's a complete freak. People aren't supposed to be that coordinated and that that in control. Even not just at that age, but at that height. You know. Yeah. So. Exactly. So we're going to take a, a short break, and we will be right back with our last couple topics. Love the Pilot Boys podcast? Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as one dollar. We have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash pilot boys podcast. Show us some love today. All right, back into it, V. So the uh, next topic, you, we got to have our, our weekly dose of yay. You already know. Uh, went on drink champs after his anti-Semitic comments last week and got deeper into the anti-Semitic comments. Um, that was a wild interview. Obviously, they get drunk on that. And so, you know, the interviewers are not necessarily as great as they could be if they were sober. They all just end up having a good time. And people can get away with, you know, being a little bit off the cuff there. Um, but I I was really surprised with how far he chose to go. And it, you know, we we always talk about how how he's looking for attention with these types of comments, looking to stir up controversy. And what I always think is like, when you go to anti-Semitism, that's kind of like the last card in your deck. Like, there's no, there's no more hateful type things you can say to stir the pot once you get to anti-Semitic comments. What do you, what do you think about this whole thing, V? Well, this is... Um this situation is more on the platform and kind of this this idea the desperation for likes and traction um drink champs is a podcast um and they knew what they were doing here because everybody else was was moving away hey if we actually have him on and create content we're going to go viral um which they did you know the comments were played i i can't believe how many times they popped up on my social media um, so the, the person that I hold accountable here is, you know, and he also made some very disturbing comments, um, that was, that were very disrespectful to George Floyd and his family, which is a very sensitive subject, um, for, um, the community at large saying that he died of a fentanyl overdose, even though there's no evidence to support that and not from somebody have, you know, having their foot on his neck for, uh, <laughs> for, it for an eternity. Like- it sounds like the comments of somebody you and I both used to know, V, that uh, that used to find these these strange, strange theories that didn't really have a basis in reality that allowed them to 
support a hateful view. Yeah, I think that's that's really what this is. And it's like, you know, <laughs> here's the thing. Um, and you see the difference between somebody who has a sort of, sort of moral compass and, and a value proposition versus someone who doesn't. Interestingly enough, you know, the week before um, the shop with uh, Maverick Carter and LeBron James, they had Kanye on. And after listening to his commentary, they decided that they were not going to air the episode with him in it, um, despite the fact that it would have probably take, took their ratings through the roof. They decided to make a decision that it's important for this type of speech uh, not to be spread. Yeah. You know, I think, I think it's a cool era we're in as well. Cause you know, it's not going to happen. We're not going to improve our society by government making rules. Like it's, it's each individual deciding what they co-sign and what they don't. And ultimately like you see, you know, whether there's powers that be or not, like we, we can all agree. Nobody wants each other to be hateful. And when we see somebody falling for that trap, like it's kind of our responsibility not to let them fall further in it. Yeah. And the thing that bothers me about this particular situation is that one of the hosts, Nori, um, he did an interview afterwards and he acted like he didn't know what was happening or what, what was, what he was doing, um, that he didn't hear the comments because he got a lot of flack for not standing up and step, you know, stepping up and, and admonishing Kanye for some of his commentary. But it was almost like, you know, the platform of this of this medium is they want people to become a mess. You yeah. Know, that's what they try to do is get them to their worst phase. And anybody should know, anybody who's spent enough time around Kanye or has even viewed him for more than five minutes should know that this isn't probably a guy that you should load up with weed and alcohol <laughs> he's probably on a lot of medication as well. You know what I mean? So Yeah, I saw a lot of criticism around exactly what you're saying, V, online, which is that the show typically tends to push people to consume more than they would like to consume to yeah. get those moments. And I, I think there's fun in that at times, but I think it comes with greater editorial responsibility because you also don't want your guests to look bad. Like, your guest comes on and they get the wrath of the world unleashed on them because they they said or did something that they wouldn't have done in sobriety, then how are you going to get more guests? And I think we're in this in this age where there's been a lot of people who have tried very, very short-term plays to like build something. And you know, it, this this doesn't last in its current format. It just doesn't. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I've never fully understood, you know, and I'm not trying to be like the moral police here, um, but alcohol is a depressant, you know, there's no <laughs> sugarcoating that. And you have a guest who clearly has mental health issues and you encourage them to drink alcohol. Um, that's, you're opening yourself up to liability there too. That's interesting. We kind of just, you know, sugarcoat and brush over this thing, but the reality is this isn't a person that should be drinking alcohol. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah, the fact that really you're true. encouraging that um, also speaks to, you know, you know, the person that I think really should be, the people who should be held more responsible than Kanye in this situation are the media platforms that continue to give him the platform to spread this message. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, the, the, other alignment that I saw, which which was ironic, is that 
a lot of the language here is the same language that was used by Hitler when he was yep. turning his country against the Jewish people and you know the 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 language about financial institutions and things like that like there's definitely things that are factual about it but i think the idea that any group is is you know there's a conspiracy to push other groups down i just don't see it it just doesn't exist in reality to the extent that you know people would like it to when they feel disenfranchised or feel like the world's against them and kanye is in a position where he needs somebody against him all the time for him to, you know, get through what he needs to get through. And you see him repeat this cycle over and over in his life. It's, you know, from day one, it was the music industry against him. Then it was the fashion industry against him. Now he's got wealth. So the only people that can be against him in wealth are, you know, people who have more wealth. And he's just like picking his battles to try and overcome over and over. But this is one that, you know, I just, I think it's a losing battle. I just don't think that that there's a way way out of this situation that doesn't require you know tremendous self-reflection reflection and growth but for kanye like this might have been how far he needed to go before we as a society stopped egging him on yeah and i think there's a the, the hitler narrative is a very interesting one because this is a playbook that um, both donald trump and kanye um have used um and it's very interesting to like I think, you know, and I said this last week, Kanye reads things um, and then he tries to apply them without ever adding the context and the thinking about the consequences of applying them. He only thinks about, oh, this worked for Hitler. And the Hitler comparison is interesting because what bothers me the most about Kanye is he wants to be a victim, but then also he wants to dictate how everybody else should and shouldn't behave around him at the same time so he doesn't want to be dictated to so th that's what's troubling here i don't think he he's necessarily has the ability to um draw up enough support um to ever gain the type of powers hitler does but i think kanye is a very narcissistic individual who really does want to be the person that tells everybody else what they should and shouldn't do yeah that's what's so ironic about the whole positioning yeah, I agree completely. And I think there was a period of time in which the general public was captivated by Kanye and wanted to see him, you know, grow into his visions of potentially even becoming president. Like, I think there was a period of time where a lot of people would have rooted for, you know, his best outcome. And we all know that. And if we don't know, you know, now that our thoughts control our reality. And with a Kanye, if more and more people start to not wish for his success and start to focus their energy on other things, you know, his influence diminishes extremely rapidly. And, and I think one of the things that we haven't seen with him is we haven't seen the candle go out yet in terms of his fame. But, you know, whatever, whatever the future holds, I think it's very likely that we're going to see one of the, the most huge fall-offs that we've ever experienced i think we're in the middle of it right now yeah yep we we will see somebody we're about to see live in living color somebody crash and burn and i think it's going to be valuable hopefully it's valuable for uh this generation to really see uh the negative impacts of ego and narcissism yeah um as a addendum to that um kind of another person who has been irresponsible with their words, Alex Jones, 
the verdict just came on the defamation trial he was in for his words on the Sandy Hook a shooting. Essentially, he was claiming that it didn't happen for a number of years, and the individual families um, got together who were affected by this and sued him because uh, they were harassed by his supporters, and you know a lot of uh, a lot of grief was caused to them from having lost their loved ones in this situation, then having you know many people literally act like they were lying. And, you know, obviously that's gaslighting to an extreme degree and it's not okay. Um, he's very clearly guilty because it's on video. You know what I'm saying? So this is one of those situations that's pretty cut and dry. What I wanted to bring up was the amount of money that um, came out that he owed $965 million. And I think there's a couple kind of wrinkles here. One is, wow, that's a large sum of money. Um, but two is, is he even going to pay that? Like, what is practically even going to happen? And, you know, if nothing's practic- practically going to happen, then what the fuck are we doing here at trial? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, here's the reality. And this is the thing that I really, 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 really bothers me about Americans and American media is you need to, first of all, understand the procedural elements of how uh, judgments work. The reason that he is facing this amount of money is because it's a default judgment because he refused to cooperate with the investigation or the process um, and continuing to attack the proceedings of show trials. So this is somebody who, you know, spit in the face of the legal system its its protocols uh, simply to generate more attention, and somehow far right wing media wants to make this man um, make this man a martyr, like where we're, we're you know we're stifling free speech. No, that's not the case here. This is a guy who is a media figure, intentionally spread lies, continued to spread lies, refused to take accountability, refused to cooperate with the court proceeding, and as a result. He was he got default judgments. He didn't even try to defend himself. He just wanted to attack the proceedings. So in that situation, when you get a default judgment, it's always going to be the maximum penalty um, under law. So that is he has no one else to blame except for himself for being in the position that he's in. And I do think that it is important for society to see the consequence that there could be consequences that are this steep and this punitive, specifically media organizations, because this has really become a problem, specifically in the political realm, (coughs) Um, how deeply um, just flat-out lies. If you listen to Fox News, watch Fox News. This is supposed to be a news channel. They intentionally just lie. They just spread lies and so and you know to a degree msnbc does this but news media in in general and right-wing media has really really won by using the digital age um to kind of spread information that's completely false knowing it's completely false knowing that it's going to you know generate uh some uproar amongst their base of people who already want to believe in conspiracy theories um, when these things get exposed, I think it's very important um, important that they uh, that that we see that there are consequences for that. On the flip of this, what's so hilarious because most of the uproar 
um, of creating making him a martyr is coming from the far right. At the same time, Donald Trump and the Republican Party um, is trying to uh, <laughs> trying to attack um, a, a lawsuit that happened, which was uh, the Times versus Sullivan, New York Times versus Sullivan, which basically said that the standards for a public figure to sue for defamation would be ha- would be higher than for the average citizen. So on one hand, um, they they are attacking CNN and MSNBC for wanting them to change how they position things like calling him a Putin puppet and stuff like that. But on the flip, you know, they, 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 one, one of their own gets attacked in face of the judgment. They want to make him a martyr. When you really dig deep into these, these, uh, hypocrisies, you start to really get exposed with what's going on. And maybe you should question whether or not you want to be affiliated with any party. Yeah. I think that's, that's such a great breakdown, honestly. The, the big thing that resonates to me from that is this idea of truth and, and, and falsehoods, right? And like, I think there are no real objective truths in our society. There's, there's ways things are positioned that they can be mostly true or mostly false. But most things being fed to you are being fed to create action. Like that's really the role of media is to create more consumption or create a voting behavior or get you to buy something. You know, that's that's how they make their money. And I think in this situation, it's a really fascinating one because you have a guy who's, you know, wrong about most things he talks about, right some of the time. You know what I'm saying? And it's like an exaggerated Rush Limbaugh who, yeah. you know, was the previous iteration of this. And I think in our generation, we are full of these very, very extreme people. My view on this is as a society fighting these battles through the government is like running to your parents to solve something on the playground. Like you got to talk it out and you both got to man up and grow as individuals. And in this case, to your point V, Alex Jones isn't growing as an individual. He's whining. He's looking for every excuse. He's not taking accountability for his actions. And ultimately the only thing anybody wants is for individuals to take accountability for their actions. And in our society, we have a culture where the very people who who say the government is overreaching and should take more accountability won't do the same in their own lives and take accountability for the areas where they're reaching or they're not being truthful or they're in the wrong. And I think this is a learning opportunity for all of us that when we do see somebody, you know, differing from our views, first of all, don't feed, don't feed the fire, don't get enraged and give them more of a platform and then second, like approach it with love and empathy and, and find a way to grow from it. And your, your growth will change the people around you. And that domino effect is what will grow our society. But fighting these problems through the court system, getting bitter and angry at each other, you know, tears, emotions, like that's not the way to grow as a society and, and to stop having these issues. We're having these issues because we're confused and we're scared. Yeah, and I think the whole phrase, the phrase that everybody wants to throw around is freedom of speech, and they don't even fully understand what that means. They just see the three words and say, I have the freedom to say and do whatever I want. The truth is you can't go into a public building and yell bomb without facing consequences for doing that, right? Like intentionally going in and creating a false threat, you can actually face criminal charges for that. 
And I think that that's kind of what's been okay, become okay. Like I know an era, and you may not remember this part, though, but we knew when we read, when we saw the National Enquirer, we knew the difference between gossip media and conspiracy media. When you saw the National Enquirer on the shelf, um, you knew what that was and what you were purchasing and what you were tapping into when you were buying it. I think the, the, the shift that's happened is now you don't know what you're consuming. It's not just the people who are seeking that type of media that are being exposed to it. It's actually conditioning the minds of society at large to believe stuff that's very loosely supported by fact. It's true conspiracy. It's cool and it's interesting and it's fun to tap into sometimes, but it's actually being accepted as fact. You know, there are a lot of people who believe the statements of this man and InfoWars and everything that he was pushing out. There are a lot of people, and we know one person in particular um, that does that quite a bit, you know, digs into these conspiracies, far right wing conspiracies, um, and then uses these figures like InfoWars and these, these sites as evidence to support their belief. Um, and that's what's really dangerous about this is that there's no, you as a human, as, as an individual, no longer get to filter what you consume and don't consume um, like you did in the past. Yeah, really, really well said, bro. You know, I think that kind of brings us to the end of end of our red eye segment here. That was it. That was like a really nice way to wrap it up. And I think, you know, as as the listener, always have that lens up always send everything through that filter where you choose consciously whether you want to consume it or not don't let it just come into your body into your brain into your soul make the decision for yourself every single time you have the chance to and it's going to lead to not only a happier life but a better better world around us for all of us to build that stability within ourselves to be able to dictate what we what we actually want to consume instead of having it thrown upon us Yep. You know, that uh, being said, it's been an awesome, awesome red IV. Um, <laughs> you know, always remember to our audience, stay moving and be you. You as fly. Get ready for this landing, man. Okay. Oh, boys out. <laughs>